Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is President, Founder, and Senior Advisor of CMR Financial Advisors, Cliff Ribello. Cliff is also a Certified Financial Planner, Professional, and Charter Financial Consultant. He is a member of the Financial Planning Association, Hawaii Estate Planning Council, and former Chairman of the Board of Trustees for the Friends of Library Hawaii, as well as a speaker and an author. Wow, I'm exhausted just reading the bio. I don't know how you have time to do anything like serving clients, uh, which is the probably the the best and most rewarding work you can do. So thank you for joining me, Cliff. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So you've been with us for more than 10 years. We truly value your partnership. And you were born and raised in Hawaii and still do business there today, correct? Yes, where I'm sitting, right? Yes, at home. Mm-hmm. Thank you for getting up a little early to talk to me today. <laughs> so we know time zones don't always align, uh, but we are truly fortunate that you're here with us this morning. And I know you serve clients across the entire country. So talk about how the flexibility in your workday is important based on where you're at. Yeah, well... You know, we, we we have a six hour time difference from the East Coast and five from where Cambridge is located. Well, now you're in Arizona. Um, I guess that helps a bit, but I'm not too involved in the operation. Um, so, but team the team has to get up at, well, they don't get up at er, any earlier. Um, they get on about seven hour time, which is, you know, what would that make it, noon your time. And uh, so all the action starts from seven to 10, maybe if we're doing, you know, things with Cambridge or, or, or things with our sponsors and uh, then it shuts down, but there's an advantage to that because we email, you know, now with email, email's old already, but with email, we can email. And then when we get up in the morning, we get all our answers and then it, it starts again. So it's not that much of an inconvenience. Yeah, I recall, I recall being in a building with stockbrokers, um, and they would they would be in the office at three o'clock. I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> what does the team spend their time doing after everybody else essentially isn't working anymore across the country? Do they actually work eight hour days, or do you have flex schedules for that? Yeah, well, we're, we're you know with COVID, we're very flexible, um, and still working it out. The administrative team is not in the office almost ever unless we have a team meeting. Um, The advisors, which is three of us, we go in when we have client meetings and leave when the client meetings are over, basically. Uh, So we get to avoid traffic. And, uh, you know, Honolulu is like any big city. Oahu is at least, you know, the where all the action is, I suppose. We have traffic problems and crime problems and all that. And and uh, to give you one example, Margaret lives maybe, boy, what would mileage would be? 20 miles away. And she's in traffic an hour one way and an hour the other way to get home. So she doesn't want to come in. And they're much more productive. They're, they're much more productive. But it's flex time. They can go do what they need to do during the day as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that you've got that flexibility for sure. Yeah. Um, talk about how that works with your clients. So I assume you also then just have client meetings for the most part between a certain number of hours. 90% of our clients is in Hawaii. So we're all in the same time zone. So it's not too difficult to serve them. And the clients that we have 
on the mainland. Um, it's more, you know, transplants that were here and moved to the mainland. So they're used to it. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense uh, because they know how to structure their expectations then. Cliff, I think all of our listeners would enjoy hearing a little bit more about Hawaii from a cultural perspective. How would you describe some of the characteristics of the population there, especially since 90% of the clients are from there? Um, and what do you like best about doing business and, and growing up and living there? Yeah, culturally, it's a it's a unique place. I, I suppose it, it it's close to the Midwest, you know, it's, you know, basic good values and all that. But we, Hawaii has been populated by, by immigrants. Um, the Hawaiian, the true Hawaiian, the, the, the ethnic Hawaiians are, um, were here, but the plantations came and, and brought immigrants from Japan, China, Philippines, Portugal are the primary places they came from originally. And so that's, you know, from my perspective, at least, that's how kind of the Aloha spirit came about. Our office is pretty um, diverse. Um, we have, you know, I think I, I told you, Amy, way back when, when Cambridge had the diversity of diversity initiative, um, you know, <laughs> I started listing the net, listing the nationalities we have. And, you know, we have Hawaiian, Korean, of course, I'm Portuguese, Japanese, Filipino. Um, the list goes on. I don't think I can get it all. Go black. My wife's black, so you know my daughter's you know half black. She's in the business as well, and so we have everything. So that's kind of what 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 Hawaii is about. And um, you know, growing growing up here, I grew up on Maui, uh, which was very small at the time. And, you know, like I said, my dad was a sole bread, breadwinner and went to the University of Hawaii. I majored in economics. Yeah, geeky, right? <laughs> well, see, this is, and, and you asked me what, you know, who was the most inspiring or, or, or what was the value I had. And, and I, I took an economics class and uh, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I said, I'll never take an economics class ever again. Well, during registration in the old days, no computers, we, we had to pull cards. And the only class that fit my schedule was another economics class. And um, so I was either that or take class at eight o'clock at night. And I wasn't going to do that. So um, I took this economics class and the teacher was fabulous. He was, he brought the whole subject alive. And that's where I got you know, the love for economics. I'm still kind of an uh, economics wonk. Um, probably learned more outside university than inside the university as I as I grew. And so, so I always wanted to get into. I, I applied for the at the banks, and and they weren't hiring. Well, what they were hiring was you know mail clerks and all that. It was during the late '70s, early '80s. So we were going through a recession at the time, and jobs were not easy to get. But um, then Wendy's was was advertising for, for managers. So, but I went to work for a rent-a-car at first, uh, a locally owned rent-a-car for about nine months, washing cars and taking, shuttling tourists back and forth from the airport. So I worked for Wendy's after that and uh, it was a very good experience for about eight years. I, I was a you know manager and they were growing in Hawaii, they were brand new. And then my father-in-law at a, a my father-in-law was a re retired military 
and he worked for the city and county of Honolulu. And the deferred compensation, 457, like a 401k plan, came in and, you know, talked to my father-in-law and all that. And you know, one thing led to another. They said, well, we're looking for folks. And so that's how I got into this industry. He hired me, eventually hired me. And uh, I was working, doing that deferred comp plan. But then we got the largest hospital in Hawaii, Queens Medical Center. Um, we got their 403B. And it was a pioneering because it was a matching dollars 403B plan. This is when they didn't exist, right? Now, 401k plans, everybody has 401k plans. Everybody knows what it is. And so we got to enroll something like 5,000 employees and service them and all that. And that's how I got my start. You know, I, I met a lot of folks through that um, city and county plan and through the Queens plan. Uh, I did some work with the education system and the university, but most of my clients came from there originally. And that's how I got, got started. And I don't know if I would have succeeded if I didn't have that that ready-made basket of people that learned to trust trust me and and uh, one thing led to another. After ten years, um, I got out of that because it was turning into it used to be well commission work and in you know the revenue got to be pretty good, but then it started to you know all the all the big institutions start to come after it if you have hundreds of millions of dollars in, in a plan. And so it was turning into more a, a, a salary job than a, a commission job. And so I had to, I kind of transitioned to financial advisor, right? Folks were asking me, Cliff, I saved all this money. What, what do I do with this thing? You know, how do I get income from it? And so that's was the genesis of it. And slowly I, you know, built my client base from that. And, and so here, here's the, here's the biggest, well, I don't know if it's biggest, but the turning point, I went to a financial planning association meeting and it was in Florida. So it was a long way. And someone there wrote a book called creating equity. And I read that book and I went, that's where I'm going. And so this was a fee base, you know, mantra and, you know, charging fee was a third party turnkey type of thing, although I didn't have that ability yet. Um, I was with an insurance company rather than someone like Cambridge. And so I, I went in that direction and I suffered for, I don't know, three, four years. I mean, suffered. My income, you know, probably halves or a, I was getting a third of my income, but I was committed to this because I thought, boy, if I can build up the client base and I can charge a fee for my advice rather than a commission down the road, I'd be really, I, I, that, that's the best of all worlds. So yeah, I was committed to it. And this is when everyone was converting from um, A shares and B shares, the commission worked. I, I didn't have that issue because I didn't do hardly any of that. Uh, and so that, that was the biggest, I think, decision I made as I hear Cambridge, you know, went in that direction as well. I was in the same party. Um, and uh, yeah, and so here I find myself 35 years later. I've been, I've been in the, this business 35 years and I, I wonder how in the world did I get here? You know, I, I know it's hard work, like we we're talking about, just the commitment to, to do right by people. Here I am trying to pass this on to someone else now. It's 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 crazy. <laughs> Congratulations! Um, that's a really you know you've had a really successful run. 
to your point, as you were talking about, you know, a couple of messages I heard maybe our listeners should take away and I'll just reinforce. One, I heard that you hated economics. So our listeners need to know that you can be a successful financial professional and still not like basic economics that you learn in school. So that's a good message because a lot of people turn away from our business because they'd rather do a lot of things than take an economics course. And then secondly, rental car sales, I would guess, gave you some skills that you're still leveraging today as it, you know, as in working with people, as well as anybody that works at a fast food place clearly knows from a service perspective how to manage the psychology of people, which is really important in our business. So, you know, looking at your journey, I think you, t- you made a lot of right steps that some people may think isn't the way to uh, being a successful financial professional. Yeah, it's kind of a unique way. I don't need a college degree to do this. I mean, basically, it's people skills, right? People, you need to know people, how to speak with people. Uh, they have fears, um, they have goals, first of all, and then they have obstacles and gaps and fears of um, how to get to where they're going. And But on top of that, as we are going through now with the market, you know, bouncing all over the place, they have, you know, the ongoing fears that, that you know you have to counsel them through and have them believe in you <laughs> because you have their financial future. I mean, it's, it, it kind of gets uh, just run of the mill after a while. But when you first take over someone's account way back when, when I first started, and by the old, I got I, I controlling their money. This is this is a big responsibility. What if I lose it all? You know, that's that's it, it's. A medical doctor, they could lose it all, meaning you die. In a financial world, they could lose it all, and meaning they're collecting, you know, welfare. Uh, so it's it's a big responsibility. I struggle with that same question often, Cliff. Actually, from young people, and I think it probably depends on the person. And let's just face it; it's it's an important decision because education is really expensive right now. So when does it actually pay for itself? That's a, that's a big part of it. I have thought many times in my life that I would have been better off with a psychology degree (laughs) than a finance degree. So I, I think, you know, there's some, there's some truth to that as you walk through the kinds of things that we do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For sure. So talk about the structure of the people that you're working with there in the office now. You're building the next generation in your business. What does that look like uh, today? And do you have any idea what you want it to look like into the future? It's a moving target. So if, if, if I have any advice for the younger advisors, start now. Don't wait. You know, it takes 10 years, easily 10 years to get to this point where you can pass it off to someone and even longer. Um, right now, my, my daughter, as I mentioned, is in the business. She's been with me since she was in high school, <laughs> scanning papers when, when scanning was kind of a new thing, I guess. So she's um, 33, 34, um, has three kids. And that's the other challenge, right? Uh, you know, she has family. She's the mother of my grandkids. And so every you know, minute I pull away from that, I'm pulling away from my grandkids. So there's, there's a huge struggle between you know, her being her mom to my grandkids and her being you know, a business person. It's a, it's a time thing, as you probably know. Um, 
but um, she's she's just about there. I mean, I you know, as far as perhaps the client relationships, not quite, but as far as running the business, she could she could do it if I leave tomorrow. And so that so she's going to you know be the primary person, and I have another advisor who has you know I hired. I don't want to say on a whim, but uh, I hired some an experienced advisor, and he didn't work out. So I had to let him go. At the moment, I was buying a practice that was the same size as my practice. So, <laughs> so I worked really hard, and I hired him about two months into that process, and he was green, right? He, he, he was a good family for a child of a good uh, friend of mine. Brought him in, and he was a waiter. You know, that's the thing, you know, hire waiters. They're a good waiter. They don't handle people. They don't handle conflicting deadlines that are immediate. One table, next table. And uh, well, eight years later, he's pretty accomplished. He meets with clients on his own. And, and we have a team concept. So nobody, you know, every, what a client is belongs to everyone, not one person. So he's a he's a big uh, part of it, and perhaps he'll get ownership one day. And so then we have uh, two administrative staff that do all the day to day things. I have my Miss Aloha, I like to call her uh, Margaret. She's she is people savvy, and so she connects with the people. She she's the and and she's the mom of the business, right? She's the glue that keeps everybody together. Well, she was probably my second or third hire, but she was the, you know, when you uh, have one employee, she was my one employee. Well, she sounds like she's probably a significant retention uh, tool in your toolbox, right? She's the one that makes everybody feel good, and that's important. That's very important, and I can't do it all. So she's always contacting clients and 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 all that. And then we have so that's. So my daughter and and that advisor Whitney, he's they're G two, right? Generation two, and Kai, the person I was mentioning that was new six months, she's actually G three. I love it. <laughs> I was wondering, wow, yeah, she is G three. When I realized that, I went three generations. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome. I think, you know, more people need to figure out exactly how to execute that. It's not easy finding the right people. To your point, it's taken a, it's taken a while to fall together. But what I heard you say is you took a little risk on a couple of them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sometimes an important part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Finding good people is tough, even in this economy. But I and I have to I have to hire another advisor and it would be nice to have someone 10 years in the business that you could just throw in there and do it. But I don't think it works that way. I think you got to find, you know, the good, a good person who, who is interested in finance and doing what we do and, and, and hire them and train them. And it'll take five years to get to them to a point where they may be viable. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got G2. It sounds like, um, you know, well in place. So hopefully you've got a little bit of time to finish building out the other components. Yes. You've done a great job. Mm -hmm. So if one of our listeners went out to your website, what they would see is a statement, the interest of the client is the only interest that matters. 
Talk about that philosophy and what do you think it means to your clients? Well, yeah, our first core value is clients first. And and that comes from that statement. So I think all the decisions we make, or at least try to make, is based on a client. And so it's, you know, it's client first and then team and then business. I mean, the clients are everything. That's how we get paid. That's how we get earn a living. That's how we, you can do what we want to do. And so we want the right kind of clients, right? We need the right kind of client fit because if they don't fit over the years, I find that it's, it's miserable. And so you have to find the right clients fit. And then you, so, so you can put the clients first to, to me, that's the only thing that makes sense. Right. I mean, if it's just going to be a business uh, or a practice, um, then it doesn't make any sense that all to be in the business uh, clients are everything they're i have a lot of friends you, you know the funny thing amy as you get when you when you're when you're 35 years old all your friends have no money and they're struggling just like you are right and then you get to be 60 some odd and everybody's you know a lot of your friends start asking you so what should i do what should i i'm going wow really <laughs> it's a strange change of things you know the industry says at least the insurance industry says oh go you know call your friends and call your relatives and all this and but you know a young person their friends and relatives they don't they have just the basic need saving money and insurance probably and as you get older it's kind of a nice nice thing to have you know friends call you and ask you and become clients funny that you mentioned that when, when I talk to our new Century Council and try to get them to think about the future, that's a, an advisory council of ours that we talk about what the, what do things look like in the future. I actually have to say to many of them, because most of them are younger, pretend your friends have money. <laughs> if they had money today, because the average age is always 20 years more than they are, uh-huh. right, of their client base. Uh-huh. I'm like, if, if your friends had money today, what would they need? Just pretend, because that's how we're going to get to know what the future looks like. But it is... Definitely an interesting world we live yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 good advice, you know. And and when you were saying that, it's it's more like just staying part, just hang around. I don't know who said it. I success is just being there. You just have to hang around long enough for things to happen. Uh, we all are are impatient, and uh, that's why we're in this business. I mean, I'm I'm impatient too. I want everything now, but yeah, just just be there. Cliff, let's switch gears a little bit. Talk about financial literacy. You're a strong supporter of building a foundation early, even as early as elementary school. Talk about some of the resources you've created as an educator and an author on this topic. Yeah, you know, that that comes a little bit from my, I mean, I hated economics and now I love economics, but I, I like a I like a certain kind of economics. <laughs> I like the one that that relates to the person. You know all the all the monetary theory and bank and money and all that just doesn't excite me all that much. I I kind of understand it, but I like the way the rubber hits the road with with people themselves and how they make decisions. Because basically, economics is how you how you allocate scarce resources, right? It's it's we don't have everything, so if you have what you can't, I like to say you can't spend the dollar twice. You can you can save it. You can you can buy something with it, but you can't. Once you give it up, that's it. You can't. That it's over. That scarce resource is done, 
And so I started doing junior achievement. It's a, it's a program with high school students. Well, they have, you know, it goes across the board and um, started doing, doing junior achievement. And uh, their program is basically teaching kids or a class to start a business and, and, and then sell it or to, you know, liquidate it, I should say, not really sell it. So you do, you know, easy stuff like sell candies and, you know, the kids really take to it. Hopefully it had some kind of impact. But then I got away from that. And I, I think dealing with the with families and their kids and helping them to understand what it is and in their own mind, right? And so I'm I'm an advocate of, you know, if you have a child, you know, buying them a stock, if they like Apple or they like Disney or they like this or that, or you know, buying them a, a fund that has all these big companies in it so they can feel like ownership, they can feel like part of the society and hopefully they get inspired by doing that. So that's kind of where it is now. Um, yeah, I, I, I got away from junior achievement. It's very tough. To, I, I have total respect for teachers that have to do a presentation every day to 30 kids that some don't even want to be there. And it's a really tough, tough job. So that, that's kind of where I am. I, I should pursue it more, but I'm not into it as much as I want to. Thanks for giving back. Every little bit helps. And I think financial literacy and comes in many different shapes and sizes. So what you're describing is really important. So Cliff, you've talked a little bit about your family, but one of the things I'd like to wrap up my podcast with is to make sure that our listeners know that you can have a life being in our business. And you've had a very successful life, both from a business perspective, but also personal. So talk a little bit more about your family. Who do you spend your free time with and what do you guys do? Yeah, uh, balance is very important to me. Um, it doesn't make any sense for me to be a workaholic, although I have the tendencies to do so. I have to uh, pull away and, um, you know, big believer in free days, right? You take a day where you don't do any work and don't touch anything work. And it's hard with cell phones and being connected. Family, yeah, you know, my I have six grandkids it's all about the grandkids now you know it's all about the grandkids you know they i have three on in in the washington state area in the seattle area and three here in hawaii with my daughter in a range from nine to almost one uh so i just have a good time with them free time i used to play a lot of golf for a while but now it's kind of went you know 180 i i basically stop playing golf except on an isolated instance and I go to baseball games and basketball games and things like that and yeah that's kind of what I do in my free time is grandkids now. I've heard that it's very rewarding. Um, I don't have any yet but when they're ready I look forward to it because this whole idea of being able to give them back and not be the sole uh, sole reason behind their success and or failures yeah. seems to me to be quite pleasant. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. It's 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 all the problems lie with the parents, and at least in my perspective, my wife's a little bit different. So, you know, she's more nurturing. So that's that's the issue, right? How do you raise your kids and all that? She's always giving advice. So if I have advice for you, Amy, don't give advice. <laughs> 
Duly noted. I'm going to have to bite my tongue, but because um, I think my personality is the same too, but yeah. I have heard that before as well. So that's great advice. Yeah. Do you guys make it back to Washington or over to Washington State yeah, we, uh, frequently? Yeah, we used to go every, you know, three, two or three times a year. And they used to come here at least once. But with COVID, that's kind of put a, put a, put a stopper on it for, for a little while. We haven't, yeah, we, well, we, we, we were there for the first time in October or so last year. Oh, good. Yeah, since COVID, yeah. So we, we get back quite often. I don't like the weather. Uh, it's rainy and it's cold and uh, yeah. not, not, not a fan of that. But That's great. Well, I'm glad that you get to see them. Um, Cliff, as we wrap up this podcast, is there anything about your business that you think or yourself that you think that the listeners could get some additional value from hearing? Yeah, well, I want to give a plug to Cambridge without, before I forget, because 10 years ago, uh, we were with a competitor, a big firm that that was consolidating. And, you know, they were a family business at one time and they got bought by a big company and and they just turned into this institutional nightmare. Um, and so we're looking for broker dealers and, or a partner, you know, we looked at RIAs with, you know, doing an RIA on our own. We looked at several other broker dealers and, you know, we, 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 I don't know what it was. We had three, I had three advisors, all independent advisors that we decided we're going to, you know, abandon our current broker dealer. And, um, just by luck, maybe, you know, it's more than luck, I suppose. We did our research, due diligence and all that. And we didn't even go to Iowa. I speak to some of the advisors who came here to go, oh, yeah, we went to Iowa. We met with Amy and, you know, Eric and all. I didn't even do that. We didn't even do that. Too far. Um, and and um, by, by luck, we picked Cambridge. And it's been awesome. It's been incredible. It's been like... Uh, a rewind from back in the day. I know now Cambridge is is large. They need to be large to compete on a national, you know, on a on a scale. There's there's that capacity or uh, issue that you need to have. So you know it's changing, but I, I don't think there's any better broker dealer to to be with. So thank you, Amy, and and your whole team are wonderful. And uh, yeah, I, I really honored the relationship. Thank you. We do too, Cliff. I think alignment of core values, trying to lead with our hearts, and you used the term clients first earlier. And for us, certainly we have the same philosophy, but I guess it's fitting in this example to say Ohana first, because mm -hmm. even though we are large, we do definitely see all of you as parts of our family. And that, I think, is what continues to make Eric's vision of something wonderful live on today. Yeah, well, keep being what you are and, uh, you know, dealing with the challenges of trying to be that. I appreciate the kind words. I truly appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and yourself and your vision with our listeners. I know they'll get a lot of value from it. And thank you for being Cambridge Stronger. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be there, as I said. Thank you, Amy. Honored and privileged to be part of this. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best 
the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. We are Cambridge Stronger.